Welcome to Book Wandering with me, Anna James, the podcast where I talk to another writer about their most beloved children's or YA book. I'm the author of the children's fantasy series Pages & Co and an arts journalist. This episode, I'm chatting with my good friend, Kieran Millwood Hargrave. Kieran is the award-winning and best-selling writer of several books for adults and children, including The Girl of Ink and Stars, The Mercies, and most recently, the start of her brand new fantasy series, In the Shadow of the Wolf Queen. Kieran's pick was a mutual favourite, Garth Nix's Sabriel, the 1995 fantasy YA novel that began his best-selling Old Kingdom series. We chat about magical bells, how Kieran uses books of power for each of her projects, and why it's so important not to patronise young readers. You can find the books discussed today on my case of books page at bookshop.org, which supports the podcast and independent bookshops. If you use the code BOOKWANDERER, you'll get free shipping on the books featured across this series, including Sabriel and In the Shadow of the Wolf Queen. And finally, before we get into the episode, just a quickly note that while the podcast is largely suitable for children, it isn't geared at younger listeners. Welcome to Book Wandering. Thank you so much for coming on and being a guest. Thank you so much for having me. I've been waiting to be asked, Anna. Gosh. I know, well, I was gearing it around your new book, you know. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. And actually, speaking of that, usually I start with the book that people have chosen and then we kind of move on to looking at how that's impacted their work. But because I know a little bit about you <laughs> and the book, I actually am going to go slightly in reverse order. Um, so to start with, could you tell us a bit about In the Shadow of the Wolf Queen um, and what that story is? Of course. So... In the Shadow of the Wolf Queen, because I love a short title, is the first <laughs> is the first book in the Geomancer trilogy. And this is a concept I've been playing with literally since I started writing The Girl of Ink and Stars. I've been gearing up to writing a trilogy. And I've had this idea around ley lines and earth magic and writing a book where all the magic in it is possible magic. So it's all nature led. So I've had that idea for ages. And what's lovely about having a really long composting phase is that you've got almost too much material. So you're not struggling for, you know, amazing facts or ideas to thread into your book. I've been collecting them all in this book, um, this notebook that I've got in front of me on my desk um, for 10 years. And then about five years ago, I said, right, I'm really going to start conceptualising it. And that's when my main character is older came into my head and she is a girl living in Glorwood, which is the equivalent of the Celtic rainforest in Snowdonia. And she lives a very ordinary life. Um, you know, I love an ordinary person <laughs> thrust into extraordinary circumstances. And her sister, Harry, who is a tree listener, uh, she gets taken by the Wolf Queen's riders. And of course, Isolde has to go and try and get her sister back. But ultimately, she ends up striking a bargain with the fearsome wolf queen herself. And they end up on a quest for magic that could destroy the entire world. And over the next few books, it's just going to escalate. And I'm so excited. <laughs> Amazing. Um, it's also wonderful. Um, oh, just thank you, Anna. everyone listening. And yes, it is utterly wonderful. So I started there because I know, well, you've met, you've set up this the notebook because I know that when you first started, yeah, moving from that, I love the phrase composting stage, it feels especially apt for this book. But when you moved to the the next stage, you had uh, a list of three books and you had a phrase that you wrote at the start of your notebook. I do. Uh, so could you tell us what that phrase is? <laughs> that phrase was, write your Sabriel, all in capitals. And 
that was really became a bit of a <laughs> an anchor around my neck because <laughs> don't know if you've read Sabriel um re- oh. listeners but oh. um I was gonna say yes of course. <laughs> well of course yeah. you have <laughs> we're gonna talk about it yeah it's pretty much one of the most accomplished fancy books it feels like it's sprung fully formed into the world so I was setting a pretty high bar but I really wanted to do that with this book I really wanted to push myself and challenge myself so yeah write your Sabriel that was mm-hmm. my millstone and my gift to myself. <laughs> yeah. And I want to come kind of once we've talked about Sabre a little bit more, I do want to come back to that phrase and what that means to you. But I also wanted to ask about those three books that you listed because uh, I'm also, you know, it's nice when you interview your friends because you have so much extra stuff to go on that I just know because I know you. <laughs> because I, But I know that this is something that you threat. do. For, I know, like I know all your secrets. <laughs> uh, I know that you often always have always these books of power that you use and I'd love to just hear a bit more a about the books the the other books for for Wolf Queen uh, I if you'll permit me using Wolf Queen uh, is a long title so oh no that's allowed <laughs> Wolf Queen's a good strong abbreviation okay, but also just kind of that process for you and why that is integral to your process at what point in the process you tend to find those books of power if they ebb and flow you add them take them away I just I'm fascinated by that being such a core part of how you come to a story of course so um to start with I love a seduction I <laughs> like to light candles I like to have my like pot of tea I like to shut the door put my playlist that reminds me of my story on I love setting the mood for myself. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> and, love that. <laughs> yeah. And it really does feel, when you're dancing around a book in those early stages, it does feel like a courtship. It's like uh, you're really sizing each other up and, mm-hmm. and you'll know exactly what I mean when I say that because the book does it back to you. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, come on, like, do you think you can do this? That These beautiful, brilliant ideas you've got can can you make that happen for me so um it does feel a bit like a courtship and those I suppose those books of power they they are the books that are going to set the bar um they're the books that are going to inspire and um cajole and and sort of really push push you into places um to really aspire to write your best book you know we're always trying to do that with our next book so for this for in the shadow of the wolf queen it was sabriel by garth nix it was um his dark materials taken as a as one book by philip fullman um and originally it was dark is rising by susan cooper because i thought there was going to be a lot more levity in this book there's not oh, interesting. So, <laughs> <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so actually i would say more earthsy by Ursula um Kayla Gwynn became more of a touchstone touchstone um <laughs> little easter egg for Sabriel <laughs> readers um but you know that that's the seeds from yeah. which I'm gonna try and grow my um you know standing on the shoulders of giants and all that stuff um and I literally put those books on my desk and I will add to them. So my research books come in. Obviously, I'm using nature as my magic system. So I read a lot of science books and fact-based books, and they they would also go on the windowsill that is my bookshelf. But, you know, they're always in my eyeline. 
and I literally if I'm stuck sometimes just touch them like I love that just communing with the book yeah (laughs) um and I'm you know I'm a pretty practical person but when it comes to that first draft I'm 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 very romantic about it and I want to be you know I want to believe in it and I want to um have that excitement and that oh will it measure up so yeah ah I love that and I feel like I think that we're rooted in similar books um yes. like Earthsea is one of one of my totemic books for yes. which I think is I think we're, we're not we're not quite the same age but we're essentially I think yeah. the same generation of certainly the same generation of writers but I think it's interesting because you kind of see the waves of those of us who grew up with well I'm um, okay I need to pause because right Sabriel I'd always said it as Sabriel, and maybe you know an authoritative answer to this, but I, because I read it last at the beginning of this year, so I re-listened, I listened to the audiobook in preparation for our chat, uh, and it's a great audiobook read by Tim Curry, Yeah, he says Sabriel, and it really threw me, and I don't know what to say now, but... Sabriel? I'm, I think we can agree Sabriel, because okay, we're saying there's Sabriel. no way of saying it wrong, is there? If you no, read exactly. a word, yes, it's like Hermione... Yes. it's real because we as readers make it real exactly yes um that's sorry that I threw myself off uh but it really threw me it's all but it is a great audiobook Tim Curry does as you would probably imagine I bet he loves Moggett yeah uh, just like all the voices are (laughs) exceptionally well done um but yeah oh yes it's there's a yes a generation of writers I think coming of age writing the books that we grew up with Earthsea and we grew up with Sabriel and it's I I kind of love seeing the wave and then I kind of love hoping that maybe you know in like 30 years hopefully there'll be like a wave of writers that maybe grew up reading our books and and it's all like you say standing on the shoulders of giants who are standing on the shoulders of giants well I'm not (laughs) not including myself in the giant category we're giant you know I'm very tall yeah I'm certainly physically very tall um (laughs) So, okay, going back to the beginning, um, when was it that you first encountered Sabriel? Can you remember how old you were, how you kind of came across it? Like, was it a, a gift or a library book? Do you have any memories of that first encounter? It was secondary school. Mm-hmm. So I was at least 11. I think I was maybe 12 or 13. And me and my friend Cecily were like obsessed with, we were the library girls. We were like obsessed with spending all our and lunchtimes in the library, even when it was sunny. And I have to admit, often we were watching A Room with a View for the naked men. <laughs> but <laughs> when we weren't doing that, we were <laughs> we were um we were just picking random books off the shelves. And I don't think it was a recommendation. I think it was literally just I liked the cover. And I wasn't particularly a fantasy reader at oh, this interesting. stage. Interesting. Okay. Um I mean, I read the books that shall not be named, obviously, and they had huge impact on me. Um, but I, it wasn't sort of, I wouldn't go and seek out fantasy particularly. I, I was a bit of a magpie and I loved to cry. And I think at that age, especially, I loved Louise Renison. Oh, um, yes. That was like big for me yeah and I am praying someone picks that for some yes, future episode that someone will someone will a good yeah. one yeah um yeah call out for that yes uh, <laughs> <laughs> but 
but I just took it I just borrowed it and I took it home and then it became overdue and I like didn't take it back and I didn't take it back and this is a pattern actually for me just (laughs) accidentally stealing books like I did this with Northern Lights as well I stole it from my mom's friend and I still have her copy sorry Marion um and so I stole this book from my school library and then yeah I read it definitely over the summer holidays because I was in India um and I just couldn't believe what I was reading because it mentioned like there was like allusions to sex in it there were there were periods in it um it was so much darker and more dangerous feeling than I was expecting I was expecting something I suppose just a bit more escapist but even though it's about the underworld and nothing in it you know it is based on kind of old England and things like that but but even though nothing in it is especially realistic it felt so real and I don't think I'd ever encountered that in a book before just how earthy it felt yeah that's a really good word for it um and it is scared like it's scared the monsters are the the dead are scary Um, hugely so yeah like proper zombie like there's nothing cartoonish about the the evil in it like it really does feel like it it exists and it it has existed um which I have since I then realized now that set my sort of taste for fantasy you know and and I have since fallen in love with with some dragon books and and things like that you know obviously shout out dragon mountain and (laughs) shout out prior of the orange tree and you know all these amazing books but that is my wheelhouse that sort of fabulism over high fantasy yeah yeah and actually it strikes me now would maybe be a good point for us to do a quick a sort of surface level just kind of recap overview of just what Sabriel is about just for people who maybe haven't read it since they were younger or people who haven't encountered it yet I do tend to operate on a spoilers are fine for the books we're discussing um but just a sort of yes are you happy to do a kind of top level I can't I'm not sure if I'm I don't want to throw you in the deep end if you uh (laughs) I'm not sure when you last last revisited it but just a top level just for people just to recap um what is the actual kind of story of the book so Sabriel, Sabriel is... Um, Let's know, we should eight- just commit to Sabriel. We'll commit to Sabriel. <laughs> okay. Uh, Sabriel is like an 18-year-old girl who's at a boarding house. She lives in a version of um, sort of... I'd, I'd, it's definitely England. I think it's called Alistair. How do you... Uh, well, I have never tried Alistair. to say it out loud. Tim Curry says Anselstier. So. And Anselstier. And, and um and her father is the abortion so abortion abortion yeah i think so oh my god this is Fant- so stressful Fant- i'm so sorry i didn't you know what like i didn't mean it to be a stressful thing but this is the it is the joy of fantasy books in particular isn't it there's all these words that are so deeply familiar to us that we have never said out loud before it's kind of mad but yeah so her father basically can travel um into the underworld and he calls and basically he has died and she is to become the next abortion and she has to travel through all the gates of hell into um, the underworld to try and, well, she is trying to bring her father back 
And she does this through her belt of bells, which uh, is like my favourite detail. I think they're possibly my favourite magical objects mm, yeah. in, in any fantasy book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't remember all the names of them, but they okay. all they all call or send different um different elements of the underworld and yeah it's also has a talking cat called Moggit who is actually an evil spirit who will try and kill her (laughs) if he is not contained um and it she as we go we uncover all the lore of the land and how the abhorsen came to be and why they're so necessary and Gabriel is one of a sequence of connected books so there's Lyriel and Golden Hand and abhorsen and they can be read out of sequence as well which I really like but I do think you get the most from reading them in the way they were brought yeah. out. I love that and Earthsea kind of Earthsea does that yeah I read Earthsea after you know it's kind of the right and it has that you kind of see the character I mean Earthsea the the main four books go in one order but she's written other tales but they do they they cover quite a significant amount of time and it's kind of that non the Narnia thing as well it jumps around in time um and I love series like that there's some magic isn't there and a romanticism I think about because you, you do get to find out what has ha- what happens to Zabriel and the alluded to sex uh you know you you find out you know the person that she is uh that is coming up in relation to you you know you find <laughs> out what happens and it's lovely and I really enjoyed that as a reader um I loved that you got to see her properly grow up mm-hmm. and you know he doesn't it feels completely age appropriate whilst mm-hmm. also celebrating you know, the fact that when you're 14, you are thinking about sex and you are like, um, I mean, I know Sabriel's not, but obviously these books probably are aimed at about 14, 13, 14 upwards. Yeah, they are that kind of like timeless classic fantasy where, but I think probably if they were, certainly if they were published today, what they probably have a 13 plus yeah. sort of recommendation. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon so. And there's no hint of sort of patronizing or, and actually, that wasn't super. That was just sort of starting that idea that you could have fantasy that that tackled those Absolutely. issues. Uh, that was really he was at the forefront of it. And yeah, they're just it's just. I mean, Moggit is one of my favorite <laughs> characters of all time. Just this like sardonic, just absolutely cat, but also evil spirit, which I think says a lot about cats. Yeah, and for people who don't follow Kieran online, oh. <laughs> known as a cat lady. <laughs> and I mean my that as a huge compliment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. My cat is literally on my floor sleeping on my just dry cleaned clothes Amazing. that I got cleaned for a wedding. And I'm like, but I won't disturb her because <laughs> she needs that rest. So did you read, um, so there's Lyriel and Abhorson. Um, that's all I've read actually I've never read the kind of wider did you read them all as a teenager or no no I didn't read even Lyriel until I met my friend Daisy who was also obsessed with Sabriel and yeah just you were like oh we should there's a huge gap in our reading here um so we we went back and we read all the books sort of 
together um That's which amazing. was lovely yeah um and yeah that I, I mean it's hard to try and recapture the magic of being a teenager and discovering that favorite book for the first time but Sabriel does it for me so I I bought the 25th anniversary edition you know the really sexy hardback <laughs> um and and yeah it was just I was back there and I got you know I was scared I was sad and it's I think it's it really is a timeless classic in that respect it really I'm trying to pinpoint why that is because when I'm reading a book I really love I like to turn off my writer brain and just read it (laughs) and I've sort of obviously Sabriel was one of my books power so I did do that to an extent when I was researching The Shadow of the Wolf Queen but I really did try to just come to it as a reader each time and it's just that sort of alchemical buzz you get from like I said it feels like it fell from him fully formed it feels like he was channeling it like it's just so complete um yeah it's it's magic so going back to your kind of write your sabriel concept is that is that something you've kind of interrogated in terms of I'm interested in what that means to you in terms of is it is it as simple or nothing simple about it but is it that kind of trying to capture that alchemic feel or is it that there was sort of specific themes, plots, characters, ideas that you were wanting to do your own version of? I really wanted to write something that might occupy the same imaginative space as Sabriel. And by that, I mean something that was truly dark, something that allowed its characters to grow up. So my book's going to take place over five years. Right. Um, 13 to 18 and my character is going to have a love interest you know mm-hmm. it's got kind of like a Lyra um experience as well where you know you see her grow through the books so I knew I wanted that but also when you meet someone who really loves Sabriel it's a very particular it's a very particular kind of book it's not you know most people have read and loved the Northern Lights for example but fewer people have read and adored Sabriel and it feels like this little club mm-hmm. <laughs> of of dark weirdos <laughs> who also <laughs> love cats <laughs> <laughs> like it just feels particular like there's a different sort of I'm not a particularly a fandom person I don't tend to develop obsessions in that way but it's a different sort of um connection people tend to have to it and I think it is because it allowed its character to be so grown up um and it does go so dark and and that earthiness that I was saying you know all those things were elements I wanted to have in in the Shadow of the Wolf Queen which is definitely the youngest of the three books that I'm going to write like it definitely it gets nottier and and, you know, the villains, the backstories are all there and like they are in, in Sabriel. And just this idea that you're you're investigating one thread of a much bigger experience. Like so much happens off the page in Sabriel. Um, there's so much history pushing her through her adventure. And that's a similar feel that I wanted for a soldier as well. So both in general, but also in specifics, it very much felt like a like a statement 
and also just setting the bar really high you know yeah you've got to start there don't you yeah like yeah yeah fail fail better yeah <laughs> and part of I think all of that is obviously the the physical world um and I'd love to hear a bit about you creating because so Isolde lives in a world that is uh, I think it's as you said it's a fantasy kind of alternate version of the UK yes with the suggestions at the end that we might go further afield but the first book is set in a in a you know Isolde it's it's Wales and they they go to the lakes and Scots what is Scotland I'm curious as to and just with Sabriel as well, obviously, it's less the old kingdom is kind of more like attached to a version yeah. of, of England. Um, but was that always I'm interested in how that kind of came about, because I know that it was partially inspired by that area of Snowdonia. But did you always know that would be part of a kind of recognisably UK shaped thing? Or did you wonder about transplanting that to a more fantasy kind of completely invented shaped land? I never considered that. Um, and I think. A lot of it was also a feeling that I was returning to my heartland, which was The Girl of Ink and Stars. You know, that's the book that started everything for me. And that was very much the island and that's very much based on Tenerife um, in the Canary Islands. So I love, as a reader, I love a map, who doesn't? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I love a realistic time frame. <laughs> <laughs> so I love knowing how long it was going to take them to get everywhere. And because I'd set myself this rule that all the magic in it was going to be possible magic, it made total sense to set it in a possible place. Um, but what I wanted to do, and a big theme of this book is um, is colonialism and who gets to be the colonizer and how, you know, the Wolf Queen herself is um, a woman of what we'd recognize as Indian origin. And, you know, what would it look like to have a brown skinned woman, you know, in charge? And how does that change systems of power? So it was really useful to have um, the realism and then transplant my imagination onto that. Um, and one thing I was really interested in doing is stripping back all the place names to their uh, most pure. So Ireland's Ulaid. Um, which I won't be saying right. And the um, Scottish Pinewoods are the county forest because that's what they called themselves. And it was really important to me that all the names the inhabitants called themselves would be realistic as opposed to what me as a someone who's been brought up in English culture would think to call them, like Picts or whatever, for example, for, for the Scots. So it was really nice to have that genuine history to fall back on um and and then to be able to grow the map again against like you hinted at it, we're gonna you know the map's gonna grow with each book so we're going to go to somewhere that's all, then recognizably somewhere else and then it's no use trying not to be spoilery yeah. <laughs> like, Scandinavia else, basically yeah. and then yeah, the third yeah. book is gonna go somewhere, somewhere else, else. spoil. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, and actually, it, I love what you said about the time frame thing because it's it is a it's a journey book. Um, and Sabre is very much a journey book. And I yes, the more I write, especially fantasy, the more I feel like books either have to be journey books or not journey books, and you have to like embrace <laughs> the soul of them because I feel like 
yes, you have. It's funny. I've been muddling with this because, like, so you have to. Traveling is quite boring to read about if it is happening, um, kind of because it as a necess a practical necessity as opposed to because it's the soul of the story, um, because you get bogged down in the logistics. Whereas if a book is yeah, it's soul a journey book that becomes part of it. So. And I think I think maybe at my soul, I am not a writer of journey books. Um, <laughs> and it's actually, I was put off when I was younger from reading Sabre initially because I was like, this is a journey book. I loved The Lord of the Rings though, which is oh, wow. the epitome of a journey <laughs> exactly. book. But was that kind of, um, it sounds like it was, both because of perhaps the Sabre influence and just again, who you are, Perhaps as a writer because I feel like you do love a journey book I do love a journey book and I think the reason is I am such a homebody oh, and if you look at all my books and this is something that my husband pointed out to me this isn't an insight I had about myself <laughs> all my books are ultimately about home right like and all my most of my heroines are committed to the idea of nothing changing and are driven into action in order to try and restore things or protect things and keep them as they are. And of course, they are learning over and again. And this is a lesson I still haven't fully come to terms with is that things must change. And in the Geomance trilogy, it's, you know, very much about, you know, erosion and how everything ultimately comes to chaos and entropy <laughs> speaking of that nick's dark darkness yeah. yeah so i think you know whether you're doing it consciously or not you're always trying to tell yourself something when you mm -hmm. write you oh know, for all sure your books yeah <laughs> and mine are i have to become more comfortable with change and loss of control and and become more of a main character in my own life. And I think that that's something that all my my heroines, because they are all heroines so far, all of them have to learn. Um, and it's painful every time. Because <laughs> I'm a very, I like my comfort, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but you've got to get uncomfortable um, more and more. You know, that's how good things happen as well as scary things. That's so interesting because I was going to ask you about Isolde Moore as, as a heroine because she is someone who um, is used to being around, like her sister, as you said, as a tree listener, is sort of deemed like a kind of a special person, a gifted person. And she is very kind of at peace with the being. Although she's, well, she's trying, she's trying to learn, isn't she? But she's, yeah. she's thrust into this adventure. Um, and again, this is an interesting perhaps contrast to Sabre because Sabre always knows she knows what her ultimate fate Destiny. is and it happens yeah. to her earlier than she is expecting or hoping but she knows that that is where her path is is headed Isolde doesn't think that she ever will have a path like that and I did want to ask you more about you kind of you and you've mentioned it a few times you're like your normal heroines the heroines who find like bra bravery doesn't necessarily come naturally to them it's something they have to really finding themselves like fight the urge to just let other people sort it out yes. and I'd love to hear <laughs> a bit more about how you craft those people especially as soldier because I think you know we sort of laugh don't we at like oh chosen one but like you know ultimately a lot of that is as 
as many tropes are. It's practicalities. There's a reason you're telling a story about this person. There's a reason these things are happening to this person. Um, and that it has to be a person that people want to read a story about. And I'm really interested in how you kind of capture that main character energy and create a character that young people in particular will really engage in whilst also making them someone that is thrust into an adventure and isn't necessarily a naturally brave person. So yeah, how, how do you make a main character that isn't really a main character? <laughs> you know, I don't think I always succeed, like from some of the feedback I get. They're like, no. like with Isabella and Lupe, for example, oh, and the Girl sure. of the Stars, people are always like, why isn't Lupe the main character? And it's like, well, she is. And that's not interesting to me because <laughs> we know and we know every decision she's going to make sure. because she is driven by this thirst to prove herself. And there's a similar um, dynamic that will develop over the books with Ira, who is Seren, the Wolf Queen's daughter. And she has her own quest that Isolde's um, mission sort of inter interweaves with at various points in the book and we encounter her a few times. And she would be a fascinating characters follow you know she's she's wisecracking she's beautiful she's strong she speaks like 50 languages and she's an escaped princess you know what's not to, what's not to love but in all truth that doesn't interest me it, the quiet ones they're who interest me the people who are you know called to action because they must um not people who are born into this idea that they have a greater path ahead of them and again I think some of that's wish fulfillment I think some of it's wanting to think that I could be that brave if I needed to be because I'm not <laughs> you know, know. instinctively that, but... <laughs> I'm not instinctively brave I don't like to stick my head above the parapet but that said there are things I believe in and I will speak about those and I think there are a lot of us, a lot of people like me, who very much see themselves as the unchosen ones and not in a kind of cool, like anti-hero way, <laughs> like just in a, we're just normal. <laughs> you know, we just, we just, ha we just want a, a happy life. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, if something needs to be done, then in all it's going to be ordinary people who shift that dial um because there are more of us than there are of extraordinary people or who I like to think of as absolutists <laughs> um you know I'm more of a, a moderate <laughs> and yeah it's just really interesting to unpack what drives people into action um you know we can't all be heroes so and actually, we need fewer heroes and we need more people who are willing to collaborate and sort of move forward as part of something. Yeah. So, yeah. That, and that really speaks to, I mean, obviously, I think we haven't met, we haven't said this explicitly, but I don't think this will come as a surprise to anyone listening, that obviously, like, climate and the world and the use of its resources is an a huge theme of of Wolf Queen but yes. I think that that really speaks to that as well that the way that we're actually going to get somewhere in terms of climate change and the perilous situation we're in is actually by all of us normal people putting, yeah even taking... if it's doing things we're doing but also collectively putting pressure on the people in power 
Yeah. And that's really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a position that comes naturally to many people. Um, And I, this book very much is about someone who does not want to take that first step, but is forced into it by love. And then ultimately, over the course of three books, finds that she has to intervene. And I really wanted to, you know, especially in the first book, I I move quietly and gently into the climate <laughs> zone, but that is going to escalate. And I'm really interested in migration. And that's a theme that's that's often in my books as well, and how that intersects with things like colonialism and poverty and all these, you know, bigger themes that eventually make themselves known in this book, which is ultimately underpinned by a belief that we are part of the planet, not and do not have dominion over it. Yeah. And we are just animals. <laughs> and, you know, how do we how do we square that? Yeah. Yeah. With also seeing ourselves as these overlords. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And all of this also just like to go back to Sabriel, because one of the main themes in those books is so the Abhorson learns their craft from the Book of the Dead, which only the Abhorson or an Abhorson in training is able to physically read. And in that book, it says, um, does the walker choose the path or does the path choose the walker? And that's a big theme of those books. And that really obviously ties in. Is Was that something you were explicitly thinking, yeah. I'm assuming, so given our hugely. whole conversation? <laughs> yeah, hugely. And, you know, and sometimes you're forced, literally forced into that path, like physically as well as mentally. And um the paths that a soldier is forced into are sometimes, you know, literally by floods or by quakes. You know, they are, she is, at first she assumes being, at, you know, this blind kind of wrath of the planet being forced onto these paths, but it turns out there's a bigger plan in place for her. Um, and not to get too spiritual about it, but, you know, I do think, believe in things like the butterfly effect and and that ultimately our path is you know not necessarily something we can impact alone it's something that comes at us from a from a wider angle that's so interesting and you know thinking about Isolde I actually wonder if it's interesting thinking of her actually in comparison to Lyriel as much as Sabriel so Lyriel's the main character of the second book and she perhaps is more of a a model. Uh, yes. Well, not or or just like she she's not the she's not got main character syndrome at yeah. the start, you know. And she is not looking for she's looking for purpose, but not for adventure. Um, yeah, that's very yeah exactly. You've just said it. That's exactly <laughs> what that's exactly where a soldier is at the start of the book. She doesn't have a purpose. Yeah, like, you can use that one. You can use that. I'm one, going yeah. to. I'm going to. That's going to be on my top messaging for this book. <laughs> oh, actually, going back to the books of power thing is that I was curious uh, if you're comfortable sharing what some of the books of power have been for some of your other books. Oh yeah. Uh, so for oh, it's so boring, but Northern Lights basically crops up again, and again, again. Yeah. <laughs> like when I was writing the Girl of Ink and Stars. My book's power hilarious. So it was Northern Lights appropriate. 
Then it was The Border Trilogy by Cormac McCarthy. Oh. And um, and um, Oryx and Crake by... Oh, sure. Okay. So I didn't know I was writing a children's book when I started that. Oh, how interesting. Um, and... And I was really, you know, really into a bit of pathetic fallacy and <laughs> and all that stuff. And most of that did get stripped out by the final draft. Um, and then for I'm just looking. And then for the way past winter, it was Sky Song by Abby Elphinstone oh, yeah. and Wolf Wilder by Kate um, Rundell. And for the Mercies, it was Alias Grace by Margaret Atwood. Right. Um, basically, which I think is one of the most successful works of historical fiction. Oh, and I haven't ever read it. Oh, I think you'd love it. Did you, I have do you it. like Margaret Atwood? I have a mixed. I have a mixed but relationship with right Atwood. I love because... some of them, but I would say more often than not, I actually don't. I have got something from every Atwood I've read, but I'm not sure any any of them I would describe as sort of books in my heart. Yeah, I, I think that that is so, like, she tries so many different things mm-hmm. and she fails. And that's what I love about her. She is so brave. She has not hit upon, apart from, I will say, with the follow-up to The Handmaid's Tale, which The Testaments, I don't know how that one co-won the booker. I, it's the most embarrassing thing ever, Peter Florence, shame on you. Um, Like, it, apart from that book, she has just... Like she, you don't know where she's going to go, and I, I love that about her. That not all her books work, and for me, Alias Grace and The Blind Assassin are the most perfect. Um, but then, you know, like you say, you get something from all of them. So Cat's Eye is just like ah that tangle of feelings. Of I've not brilliant. read that one either. So like, there's so much to take from. From her oeuvre, oeuvre, yeah. oeuvre. <laughs> I, another uh. word that I oeuvre, oeuvre, oeuvre. It's one of those words that you feel like to say it right. You have to put a French accent on, but then you yeah. feel ridiculous using yeah. a French accent. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But yeah, so I think she's kind of a model for where I'd like her and Ursula Gwynn and Nina Borden. Oh, like okay. Some of the authors who. I really want to model my career after. I just want to keep writing and I want to keep trying things. And that might mean that I fail. And as long as someone else will give me a book contract afterwards, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing, isn't it? It's tricky. I think, you know, capitalism is the yeah. root of all these problems because I do think, and also probably children's fiction is a bit more brutal for this. Yes, because, but actually there are so you, many of us. <laughs> yeah, and not a lot of space. It feels like if you're not already established, and the more the more successful books you have, the more freedom you're given to fail Definitely. and to try things. But it does feel like so many books. Like so, one of my kind of totemic people is Diana Wynne Jones, and I think that Charmed Life is probably a book that is. I don't do literal. I, it's funny. I tend to have quotes that I have that I pin up from other people's books that I feel like sum up what I'm trying to capture. Um, but Charmed Life is always sort of low key what I feel like I'm trying to capture. Um, but oh, she beautiful. wrote so I see many that books. In your writing, definitely. Oh, that's really nice of you to say. That's uh, she is oh, my like. True. She's my icon. Um, 
but I feel like if you like she wrote so many books and some of them yeah. are I think the best some of the best children's books I've written but some of them are kind of like wonky Ropey. and weird and a bit bad in places I feel like sacrilege saying it but you know and I, Eva I, Ibbotson have you yeah. read Witch Witch okay so Witch Witch is one of those books that I, I actually it's, I as a child I, I'm obsessed with it yeah but it's terrible. Oh, really? Because I was obsessed with it as a child and I haven't gone back to it because I fear I'm going to preserve my childhood memory of that one. Yeah, it is so bad, but it's so good. Yeah. It's so bad, it's good. But yeah. I don't feel like increasingly there is that, the space, you know, there's only so many yeah. books you would be allowed to write that didn't work before you were stopped being You're allowed to write books. And the number right. is probably one these days, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, terrifying. unless it's like The Handmaid's Tale level success. I yes, think no, you, there's a feel... certain point you can get to, I'm sure. But yeah. I, not, I think less and less people are also allowed to get to that point. A hundred percent. I mean, I had a conversation with David Almond recently because his um, my husband illustrated the 25th anniversary edition of Skellig. And I was so excited because it meant I'm like, I'm going to be friends with David Olin. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm still trying. Okay. But we had this conversation and I just asked him, so when did you feel secure? Like, when did you feel I've made it? I'm comfortable. I can just do what I want. He said last year. Oh, no. <laughs> Doesn't that make you want to shoot yourself in the face? <laughs> it makes me want to go to sleep for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> like, and and I totally get that. And he is another writer who is constantly writing and, you know, trying different things. He's done graphic novels, you know, poetry, all sorts. And still it's like Skellig. Like that's probably what gives him permission. Yeah. I mean, how scary is that? Yes. Terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. <laughs> I want to cry. <laughs> yes. Gosh, we've got to a... Uh, you, know you know what? This is the problem with capitalism. <laughs> Ultimately, we're always going to get here. So It's uh, true. Yes. It's true. But I would like to... I feel like I've had a lot of freedom so far in my career. I feel like my first publisher, Chicken House, you know, I wrote a fantasy that is still my most successful book. And they let me write a very quiet historical fiction about leprosy next. So, you know, is, I've kind of got my wish. Like, low-key maybe one of my favorite if not my favorite of your books like I love That's that so book lovely. so it's my much. favorite book too oh, yeah. I I adore that book um, and you. so again and this is just the thing isn't it because if you had been under more pressure to do the same thing again or to write something louder or bigger that book would never have existed Exist. and it is a beautiful exactly. special book so well, hopefully, publishers, any publishers listening, let us let us write what books we want to write. Can you please pay us to do us whatever, pay us to do whatever we want? <laughs> that would be nice. Um, just to wrap everything up, because I did want to end, of course, and talking about writers who have a certain place in the cultural imagination. Garth Nix, of course, read your book and said very nice things about it. And I thought that would be a nice place to uh, bring it all full circle with. Could you just? I want to hear about your emotional journey because <laughs> you must have known so, it was going to him like did you I reach did. out to him because for people who aren't authors listening getting blurbs is like this nightmarish part of being published where you're under pressure to reach out yourself to ask friends yeah. to ask people who you aren't friends with but they're like well they follow you know you follow each other on Instagram and it's just horrifying part of the process um it's genuinely makes me sick but then sometimes Garth Nix says your book is what did he say I what he said it was destined to be a classic <gasps> and that it was reminiscent of Diane Wynne-Jones 
oh my goodness, double whammy. <laughs> like Garth I know. Nick. Oh my goodness, Garth Nick saying your book is like Diana Wynne Jones is like the ultimate blurb. So I know. the emotional I... tumult was worth it. So it was. So I was meant to actually do an event with him um, talking about his new book, but then my daughter had pneumonia. Um, <laughs> so I couldn't, but I sent him an email just saying how much Sabriel in particular had meant to me. And he said, oh, um, I've got uh, in the Shadow of the Wolf Queen at home. I can't wait to read it. And so he made a mistake because he told me he had it. And then every couple of weeks I was like, hey, Garth. Hi. <laughs> Have you got to my book yet? Yeah, that green book on your pile. <laughs> so he very, I don't know how he got it or whether my, I mean, obviously my publisher must have sent it, but I don't know. He wasn't like on our list because there are some people who just don't write down. Yeah, maybe. Though they they don't normally read. I don't normally expect if I'm chairing an event. Oh no, likewise. But I feel like to... it's given to people. Oh, that's nice. Well, that's probably why. And basically, I did not let up until he said, I'm reading it this weekend. <laughs> and then I emailed him on Monday. Oh, my goodness. I'm so in awe. You say you're not a brave person. This is, I cannot think of a braver thing. <laughs> you know, I saw what I wanted. It's like with my husband. I saw what I wanted and I did not stop. <laughs> I was like, he can read it. And if he hates it, that's fine. But just the idea of like, I know that Philip Pullman read the first, at least the first chapter of The Girl Winging Stars. He never blurbed it. But I know Philip Pullman read the opening of my book. And that still means a lot to me. Okay. <laughs> like, so I was like, I can cope with Garth Nix reading this and hating it or not wanting to blurb it. Like, because I do think you need to love a book to blurb it. Um, and I'm sure he gets loads of people. But to get that sort of response from him, I felt like a full circle moment, like a because the goalposts are always moving aren't they like uh. <laughs> we're never happy um like one of our friends has just had the most insane blurbs for her oh my book. goodness like yeah. Unreal. can we say i mean it's good things isn't it so like, i think okay so Catherine rondell by michael morpurgo as i said there was tolkien we have pullman now there is Catherine rondell yeah what a and thing. i freaked out but i'm sure she feels like also like I hope she feels the weight of that, but she probably doesn't because being an ambitious, talented person, you're never happy. <laughs> you always want more. And so I really try to let that sink in and like... Mm -hmm. Yeah, feel the actually, moments, yeah. Yeah. I didn't share it for a while because I just wanted to keep it for myself. Yeah, so I, I like, like that a lot. This is a moment. No, it's a special moment. Like you say, whatever... It exists in itself. Yeah. Yeah. And that is probably a really nice place uh, to pause. Thank you so much uh, for coming uh, and chatting to me all about In the Shadow of the Wolf Queen and Sabriel. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to Book Wandering. A reminder that you can buy Sabriel and In the Shadow of the Wolf Queen with free shipping via bookshop.org using the code BOOKWANDERER and support indie bookshops. The link is below. If you enjoyed this episode, then spreading the word would be hugely appreciated by sharing it online, telling your friends or leaving a review where you're listening. You can find me at A Case of Books across social media or you can email me at AnnaJamesAuthor at gmail.com. The podcast is produced by Adam Collier with artwork by Hester Kitchen. And next week, for the last episode before we take a small break, I'll be chatting to Kate DiCamillo about The Borrowers. So do come back next Sunday and listen. And until then, happy book wandering. Mm -hmm.